With our new sponsor, Let's Get Checked, you can save 20% using the code WILDLOVE. Go to www.trylgc.com slash wildlove to save 20%. Knowing your hormones and where they stand is extremely important. It comes with your libido, with your energy, and just with your overall health. I'm always super interested in where my hormones are at, specifically because I'm a woman, but also my men out there, you guys got to know where your hormones are at. And that's why we are now partnered with Let's Get Checked. What's great about Let's Get Checked is basically you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is go online. They'll deliver your test to you. You collect the sample. They are going to review your results in two to five days. From there, you get a consultation with a nurse and you can get a prescription and from your favorite pharmacy. So this is like the most amazing and easiest way to find out, you know, what's going on. And you get to avoid some of the uncomfortable office visits. Sometimes it can be awkward. I feel you on that. It's been awkward for me before. So this one that I specifically want to talk to is about my men out there. You know, I love you. Always will. But let's get your hormones checked. What they offer, Let's Get Checked, offers a male hormone advanced test, which is four different male hormones tests. You get free androgen index, estradiol, and prolactin. So find out all of this, particularly now. Look, we can't leave the house anyways. So head over to www.trylgc.com slash wild love. And let me say that again for you. www.trylgc.com slash wild love. And you guys get 20% off. Okay, guys, real talk. Sweet Vibes has been with us from day one, and we wouldn't be able to have this podcast or bring you these awesome guests if we didn't have amazing sponsors like them. So first, let me just say, go to www.sweetvibe.toys and enter the code WILDLOVE to get your discount co code on all of the amazing vibrators and sex toys. I mean, who doesn't love to have an orgasm? It can be a part of your self-care every single day. You know, wake up, have an orgasm, have a great day, have your coffee. My favorite product right now is the Perfect Match. I mean, it's flexible. It has 10 powerful settings. All of these are under $50. They come in really cool colors. So make sure you check them out and, you know, support this podcast, support our sponsors, and we'll keep bringing you great content. On this week's episode, we sit down with the beautiful molecular biologist and fitness model, Dr. Daisy Robinson. She talks all about COVID-19, what is some of the misinformation that we're getting, how to keep ourselves and our family safe. And we also talk about how we can get freaky and continue to get freaky when all of this is still going on and staying safe during that time. Do you know about some of these Zoom sex parties that are going on? Well, you'll find out all about it in this episode. Enjoy, you guys. Stay safe and stay healthy. So here we are, adjusting. Adjusting. You know, we got to do what we got to do during these times. That's right. And you know what? Humans are flexible strategists, and we're being flexible here and bringing people our podcast. I'm really glad that we're uh, doing this together and most humans are, are flexible strategists. Yeah. I'm going back to crazy and I oh, wish that I could you and sit right next to you and do all of that as opposed to, um, you know, sitting in my lonely place. I know. Day. Well, the best thing with is that we have a scientist here today to talk to us about all of it, all the recent changes, the science about sexuality, 
COVID-19. We have Daisy Robinson here. I'm so excited. Hello. Welcome, Daisy. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Who is, by the way, quarantined in Cabo San Lucas. I mean, could be worse. It's not a bad place to be. I'm not mad about it. Excuse me, with her boyfriend. Also not a bad situation. (laughs) Okay, do you know what a lot of my divorced girlfriends are joking right now? They're saying, they're all saying, why couldn't I be quarantined with a guy that I just recently started having sex with? They're all going there. I feel like that would be really good for a month, maybe two months, and then it would probably fall apart dramatically. (laughs) Okay. 100%. I think like being quarantined with somebody that you just started dating as opposed to like, I feel like that's probably the best way to go because you're like, oh my God, gay is so exciting. We're going to have all the sex and we're going to do all of these things and blah, 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 blah. And then it could probably go downhill really fast. <laughs> Those first few weeks, you're in, you're in just hog heaven, having a whole bunch of sex, not giving a fuck. Yeah, oh that's, that's what you think it will be, right? Let's not <laughs> let's not wreck the fantasy of my many divorced girlfriends who are <laughs> wishing for that, okay? But Daisy, would you tell us a little bit about, you know, the science of what's, Daisy, you're a molecular biologist, but you are like a really popular science communicator. I love that about your work. Daisy just does such a great job crossing complicated data over so that all of us can understand it. Can you talk to us a little bit about the science of why we're staying at home now, why it matters so much and why it's driving us bonkers. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So I, I'm a molecular biologist, which means that my academic training has been studying molecules. So those are the things that exist in cells that basically function to carry out all the functions of a cell. Um, so it's really a fundamental type of science and is fun because it allows me to understand a lot of different fields because for most biology, um, we're studying cells and the molecules that make them work. So even though I am not a virologist or an immunologist, which is probably the most relevant discipline right now in terms of understanding the pandemic, um, I'm able to digest all of the literature that's coming out of science labs all over the world and coming out of doctor's offices and clinical reports uh, and be able to talk about it with people who don't have the science background, which I feel really honored to be able to do. Um, I think what's really interesting about what's happening now is that this virus, uh, COVID-19 is the illness that comes from the virus. SARS-CoV-2 is the name of the virus itself. It's unlike other viruses that we've seen in that it's sort of an invisible enemy and it transmits itself rapidly through populations without us even knowing. So, And people are transmitting the virus without symptoms, right? Like initially we were told stay away from sick people, but it turns out that that isn't enough. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So what's really interesting about this is once you've become exposed to the virus, the median time that passes before you start showing symptoms if you're symptomatic at all, is roughly five days. And so you could have exposure and the virus could start replicating in your body and you could be contagious for a week or sometimes more without ever knowing that you actually have the virus in your body and that you're spreading it around. Um, So that's like the main thing that is driving the transmissibility of the virus. It's that A, a lot of people don't exhibit any symptoms or they exhibit very mild symptoms. And B, you're contagious before you ever show any symptoms at all. 
So this is why it's so important that people who are in states and cities with stay-at-home orders stay at home, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And keep that distance. I mean, I think that a lot of people don't understand exactly why. And the information keeps kind of dripping out. And now we mm-hmm. know why that six feet is so important or why the staying at home is so important that you could be, you know, transmitting the virus without any symptoms. Yeah. And I more th- to know that you've already had it because if you have, you know, COVID, I hear that you have antibodies to it. So then you aren't able to pass it. Are you able to, are we able to figure that out yet? Or are we just kind of in this standstill of everyone's getting it at the moment? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, there's so much that we, that we still need to learn, but what we understand right now, based on a couple of studies that have been published from patients who had coronavirus is that the antibody production that happens in your body as a response to the viral invasion kicks on and basically starts ramping up. So within a week of exposure, you start having antibodies present in your bloodstream. And then over time, you get the production of the antibodies that tend to be longer lived and provide immunity um, provide immunity for you so that if you encounter the infection, the virus again, then you're actually immune to it. We don't know right now how stable that immunity is, how long it lasts, which is one big question that we need to address and and would tell us whether or not reinfection can occur and if so, when that would happen. Um, But I think one other thing that I think is really important to keep in mind is that we don't know how long people are contagious for, even if they do have the antibodies that are going to fight the virus. So some people, most people tend to clear the virus out of their system within 10 days from the onset of the symptoms that they experience. But virus has been documented in the bodies of people for up to, uh, I think, 30 or 35 days is the longest one that I've seen. Um, So it's possible that it's present in your body for many, many weeks after you start seeing the symptoms, which I think it's important to keep in mind because, you know, there's a lot of people who've had this already and and you can think to yourself, oh, wow, I'm immune now and safe, but it it actually takes a while for your, the virus to actually, you know, be eliminated from the body and for you to no longer be contagious. So we don't know these things. We can study SARS and MERS and the literature about other coronaviruses. But what you're saying is, you know, the data are still emerging about Mm COVID-19. So people stay the fuck home if you have been told to stay the fuck home. Yeah. And, and I think stay six feet away, right? Stay six feet away. And if you've had symptoms, I think it's really helpful if you have something that is a mask or resembles a mask that you can wear. It present it prevents you from spreading, you know, droplets from your nose and mouth um, that would either exist in the air or on surfaces and, and helps you restrict the amount of virus that you're putting out into the environment. So I think it's important for a couple weeks after being ill, if you're going to go anywhere or interact with any people, whether it's the grocery store or whatever, to know that you could still be contagious for several weeks after your illness. Um, Hey, I have a question. I think this was really cool and I would like it explained to me better. The reason that in a way, we have a really powerful weapon against COVID-19, not only that we can um, stay at home, but can you explain to us why hand washing, just soap and water, is so effective against COVID-19? Because that to me is pretty amazing. Yeah. So a virus, viruses are interesting because they're not actually living organisms. Um, they're basically made of genetic material. 
the genes, you know, that that they need to to be produced. And around that genetic material is this layer of what's called lipids, which is kind of like fat uh, and proteins. And so there's this sort of envelope that surrounds the genetic material. And there's a protein on that envelope that binds to human cells and injects the genes into the human cell. And that's how the virus invades the body. So what soap does when you're hand-washing is it disrupts that envelope by breaking down the molecules that make it up. Um, so the fat and protein layer that is that is protecting the genetic material of the virus becomes unstable in the presence of soap or a detergent and breaks down and effectively neutralizes the virus. So that's why hand-washing works and that's why other cleaning agents work really well is because that sort of that envelope that surrounds the genetic material is actually not super stable and it just needs to be disrupted in order to totally neutralize the virus. But it is important and very, very important to underscore that you have to wash your hands with soap and water for 20 seconds or more because you can't just do like a quick hit of soap. It needs to actually be present and sort of incubate with the virus for that instability of those molecules to actually take effect. Wow. I mean, it's just so interesting. I feel like that we're talking about hand washing because it's like, come the fuck on, people. <laughs> it's so insane for us to wash our grubby mitts. I don't know. <laughs> but, like, yeah. my God. Wow. Um, yeah. And nothing else. That, what about, sorry. Go I was going to say, um, on top of that, what about hand sanitizer? How effective is that? Should we be using it? Should we not be using it? I keep hearing people say, like, oh, you're ruining your microbiome or something by using hand sanitizer. But it's like, I mean, okay, I would prefer that than, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, it's a question of priorities um, in any given moment. Hand sanitizer certainly will work. Anything, I think it's with over 65% alcohol. I think that's the number, but we should double check that. Uh, Will also disrupt that envelope of the virus. But you're right, it also can kill... Microbes and our body is comprised of a shit ton of other organisms and other bacteria. And there's actually a lot more bacteria on and in our body than there are human cells, which I think is really cool and interesting. Um, So you're definitely disrupting that. And I mean, I've definitely noticed that my hands have been so dry lately from all the hand washing that I'm doing. um, And my skin does not like that. Yeah, I know. It's like I do the hand wash cocoa butter, hand wash cocoa butter. But even still, you're just you're killing all of these organisms that help keep your skin balanced. So as much as you put lotion on, you're not actually restoring your microbiome there. But I think it's more important to reduce the viral spread in this exact moment than anything else. And if we're concerned about our microbiome, there are foods we can eat, right? Even if we can't even if we don't have a probiotic and can't get one delivered or can't go out and get one. There are foods that we can eat that can help our microbiome, right, Daisy? Yeah, I don't know how that um, I don't know how that relates to your skin microbiome. That's certainly true of your gut microbiome, um, but I'm not sure how diet influences the microbes that live on your skin. I do know there's a company that I love called Mother Dirt that's based in Boston that produces um, a, a, what's it called? They have a spray that has microbes in it to help keep your skin balanced and things like that. And they do really cool science and I really love what they're doing. They even have some clinical trials uh, in place that demonstrate how their product can help with some you know, skin conditions and things like that. So there are products that are out there 
that address that. Um, I think Mother Dirt's a great one. I, I, this is an unsponsored post. I just really love them. Um, I think <laughs> that they're cool and their out. science is awesome. Yeah, they're Mother, great. Mother Dirt. Okay. Mother Dirt. To look into. And you yeah. know, let's just talk about something that just occurred to me. When we were talking, I think it was Whitney when we were talking to Horrible Decisions and we were saying, Whenever you're having sex with somebody in general, it's a great idea to tell that person, please wash your hands, right? Yes. Like this is maybe this will be a great habit that holds over and women all over the world after this will be saying, Do you know what? If you want to touch my vulva, which is more delicate tissue than the tissue of the penis, for sure you gotta wash your hands. <laughs> Weirdly, I think about that especially with people with pets. <laughs> Why? That's like been a thing in my head for years where I'm like, especially if you're petting a dog all the time, like I just feel more so that I want you to wash your hands before we engage in any way. Before you go anywhere near my vulva, wash your hands, especially dog owners, if you're listening. I don't know why I think that. I just feel like dogs and cats are always rolling around on the floor and it's covered in gross. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my dog rolls around. Sorry. My dog rolls around in poop all the time. It's like her pastime activity. I particularly don't want that in my vagina. Exactly. Wait, Whitney, did you have a habit before COVID-19? Was it part of your sexual practice to have people that you were with wash their hands first? Like, do people do that? Do people say, would you mind washing your hands before? No. I've been married married for 20 years, so I'm asking you. Well, it's the same thing though with you. You know, when you guys get have sex, do you yeah. ask him, like, "Hey, do you mind washing your hands?" I okay. I'm now you know I do. It's wow. like I wash Amazing. my hands before, and so does he. I know. No, I, that's great. I, I, I think should. that's like the way to do it. <laughs> but you know. I certainly have not been like hot and heavy, you know, making out and stuff. Like, hey, I need you to wash your hands. I'm just like, fuck it. You're just like, I have a dog, you have a dog, let's go for it. Right, exactly. <laughs> I have created myself that I'm going to survive this. You know what? The dick is worth it. Uh, you know what? I like, oh my God, that should be a t shirt. But wear it, but only wear it inside because I don't know, people might be mad at you if you wear a t shirt that suggests you're not social distancing and washing your hands. I don't know, Whitney. <laughs> I just want you to be safe. Okay, Whitney and Daisy, I have to ask you as relative singletons compared to me, um, what is going on now with people hooking up? Are people using FaceTime? Are people actually taking risks and hooking up? I have been looking for data about this. I saw Jen Gunter's great piece in the New York Times about sex and COVID-19. Of course, mm-hmm. it was all based on monogamous people, right? Which, mm. most, which most public sexual health messaging is aimed at monogamous people. Yeah. So I, I, I think it would be really interesting to think about how non-monogamous people are handling this. I know we won't have information about that soon, except anecdotally, mm-hmm. but what do you guys um, hear your peers are doing about hooking up? Is it still happening or what? Um, I, I, yes, it is still happening from what I know. I was um, talking to a friend of mine and I guess they like kind of talk about it. There's also, I hear like on Tinder, people are saying, 
you know, like I'm okay with hooking up during this time, like quarantine hookups, let's do this, let's go. <laughs> and it sounds like it's happening. Um, I'm not hooking up with randos. I don't know. You know, <laughs> one, I gotta, I gotta worry about COVID. Yeah. But also I don't know what you're bringing over here. Mm-hmm. Other than that. Right. So yes, I definitely hear that people are still hooking up and that it's, it's a, a go for some people. But the other side is I bet there is just, my internet is so slow because everybody is on, you know, FaceTime and email and Instagram right now. And you know, people are getting freaky on FaceTime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I have definitely, I have a girlfriend who's been party to a number of, uh, I don't know if it's Zoom they're using, but some sort of video group sex party kind of situations that are still just as active as they were prior to quarantine, but they've just moved digital. So I don't know what exactly that looks like. Um, How does that happen? You know, I'm assuming some people it's like, there's, there's some areas where either you live with people in the same lifestyle or you and your partner are part of that lifestyle. And so what you can sort of, you know, be on zoom together doing that. And then if you're a single person or a solo person, I assume that it's a masturbation kind of via video right. with other people around or watching other I was, people, right? Yeah. I was listening to somebody who was talking about this. I think it may have been on horrible decisions or I don't, I'm not sure where I heard about this, but they are doing these virtual sex parties. And mm-hmm. at one point they had 80 people on the, on a single call. It's the safest sex party of all time. Yeah. <laughs> all time. You know, it's like Jen Gumcher said, if somebody's within six feet of you, it's unsafe sex. Everything else, go for it. Just go for it. I yeah, love, I th- yeah, I love that people are finding ways to be really creative about this. That's why we're here as a species. We've always been super creative about Homo sapiens has, has always been very creative about sexuality. And like, it's one of the things I feel that's going to get us through this. We're so creative about it and we're so oppressive about it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. It's like everyone's going to put on all of these rules. Let's come up with even more ideas and rules to get around them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's sexual strategizing for you. Let's like make an end run. If you are hooking up with people right now, I'm just going to say it to our listeners. I love you and I celebrate your sexuality, but you are taking a really big risk right now. And um, I want you to be careful. Hi, I'm a 54, yeah. I'm a 54 year old mom. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm ready to get the hell out of my house. You know what I'm saying? So just keep go on FaceTime and look at each other's genitals instead of touching it for now. Okay. I'm going crazy. Help your girl out. Such a good solution. And if you are one of those people who is getting really creative about your sexuality and going to these virtual sex parties or whatever you're doing, we want to hear about it in our DMs. Let us know. Daisy, what do you what is the science behind why quarantine and stay at home is so hard for us? Other than that we're really horny. Well, you know, we're social creatures and the stay at home situation and the environments that we're in right now are so different from the structure and the rhythms of our life before COVID. And so I think, you know, on one hand, people kind of have a hard time with change. Um, And this is a whole lot of change for a whole lot of people and not only an environment, there's a ton of people that are experiencing hardship because of how this has affected their jobs or their families or the fact that they have to be in close quarters with people that they don't normally spend that much time with, or maybe they're totally alone and they're an extrovert like Wit says she is. Um, I think there's a whole host of 
challenges, both in facing the change and also just general anxiety and stress that's happening because of this time and the constant news cycle about it. And it's interesting. I, I listened to this one podcast talking about this and, and they had this example of imagine you get up in the morning and you spend an hour before going to work listening to stories upon stories upon stories of all these automobile accidents that have happened all over the world. And then you get in your car to drive to work, which you do every day and has some level of risk, but you know, it's not the most likely that you're going to get in a car accident every time you get in your car. And they sort of equated it to that. We're hearing all these stories of coronavirus and how terrible it is and how dangerous it is and this, that, the other. And it's just creating this undue stress in our minds and our bodies that isn't actually that helpful for us. We can't use it for any purpose. And really, it's important for us to try and stay calm because stress is actually impacting our immune system negatively. And the thing that's most important is that we engage in behaviors that keep our immune function really strong right now. Like orgasms? <laughs> you know, funny you should mention, um, there is one study that was done, of course, that looked at men only, but um, they studied how orgasm uh, via masturbation impacts different aspects of the immune system. And they did find that after orgasm, these men experience an increase in their white blood cell count uh, and a number of other uh, cytokines that are important in immune function. So I wouldn't say orgasm is going to prevent you from getting COVID, but you know it does have an impact on your immune system, and and it has been shown, of course, to reduce stress, reduce blood pressure, even relieve pain in some cases. Well, it will prevent you from getting COVID if you're just masturbating constantly to where you can't leave the house. True. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Try that. Yeah, and we know, just, we know yeah. we know that orgasm also helps. You know. Um, like you get a flood of endorphins, you get some dopamine, some mm -hmm. norepinephrine. And we know that all those things um, help with so much. They help with better sleep quality. Um, they help with your mood. And so mm -hmm. all these things naturally funnel into immune function too, right? Yes, sleep, absolutely. Sleep, a calm mindset, happiness, where and when you can find it, all that. We do have data suggesting that that can really help with immune function. So yeah, what a great thing! Be a great, be a great citizen. Wash, <laughs> wash your hands. Stay away from other people and have orgasms. Right? Yes. Yeah. And then wash your hands again. <laughs> and then right. wash your hands again. Washing your hands before Daisy, and after. Daisy, talk also, to. Oh, go ahead, Wit. I, I was just. Um, <laughs> I was just kind of wondering how do they get a hold of these these uh, people who are signing up for these um, studies because I'm down. Oh my like, god! All day long in the name of science and to better humanity. Contact your local research institute <laughs> and say, "Are you doing an orgasm study? Because I would like to be part of it." And you I mean, I feel like two of you could could mobilize a huge sample size of people that would be willing to do some really important research. I feel you like that's what? a thing that could happen. Let's do that. It is. We could all co-author. Yes, we could all be co-authors. It'd be very exciting. Oh my all god, right. that would be great. It's a date. You see that? Good things come from staying at home in quarantine during a pandemic. Amazing. People, people, people masturbate together. People masturbate together <laughs> and then create science about it. I'm I'm, yes. committing, I'm committing to this because when you say something in front of a bunch of people, you're more likely to do it. I'm I think this is exciting. I'm committing to us 
uh, doing something with this, Whitney. Like even if you and I recruit the people and then we co-author the paper, something. I'll also make a quick comment about this. I have a dear friend of mine who's using new technology to make better vibrators for women. And part of that is collecting data on how the female body responds to different types of stimulation. Um, and so I think this is a really interesting area because, you know, there's so much to learn about the female body and and female pleasure. And not only do more people need to know more about that, but we just don't really have a body of literature that's really strong in that space. And it's such an interesting area. So there's very cool science that's happening. There's very cool people doing that science. So I think we can, uh, do some cool collaborations in that for sure. And just to take a moment from the podcast, I wanted to talk to you guys about our new sponsor, Let's Get Checked. Now they're doing testosterone tests where I find this really easy because it's uncomplicated. They can send it directly to your door. It's in discreet packaging so nobody knows. You can collect your sample. You get to review your results. And then from there, a nurse will contact you for a consultation over the phone and you get a prescription if you need. So what's really great about this is that you're able to check where your hormones are at. And I know for a lot of us out there, including women, it's really great to know where your testosterone levels are and for men as well. The first test that you get is your free testosterone. And that's the first biomarker that they test for. And why you want to know this is because your body uses it to produce sperm, maintain a healthy sex drive, maintain muscle strength and mass and produce red blood cells, which is absolutely important. So you guys check them out. Get your testosterone checked. Super easy. Don't have to go to the doctor. Plus, we're quarantined right now. So you need to stay home. This is a really easy way to do it. Head over to www.trylgc.com slash wild love. I'll say that again for you. It's www.trylgc.com slash wild love. And you get to save 20% off. Yeah, that would be great. And, you know, I just wanted to make a little bit of a swerve here. I'm just so interested in this topic and I think our listeners would be too. You have done something really unusual. You are in science and you're also a model. And I think a lot of girls grew up and boys too, being told you have to choose one or the other. Girls are either pretty or they're smart um, or, you know, modeling isn't like a, a feminist undertaking mm-hmm. or, um, you know, there's a lot of bias in science. I mean, my friends, my female friends in science still struggle um, sometimes with just with being a woman in science. How did all this happen for you? You got, you, you studied science at Harvard, right? Is that where you got mm-hmm. your doctorate in molecular biology? Yes. Yeah. That's right. Okay. And then there's the modeling piece. I just need to know how this came together. <laughs> Oh, well, it's kind of funny. I mean, like any great story, most of it was a happy accident. Um, I started modeling in high school, actually. And really, I won't get into the whole long story, but it related to the fact that I tore my ACL and I was playing soccer year round and very competitive and was in all these, you know, top classes and I had a job and I was juggling a lot and my ACL rupture, um, made me opened up a lot of time. And I had a friend who introduced me to her agents in San Francisco. Uh, I grew up in the Bay area and that's where I first was represented. And then when I moved to Los Angeles to do my undergrad at UCLA, that's just sort of the industry there. And it, it became something that I could do to put myself through school essentially. So I got with an agency there and was modeling to help support 
paying for school. Um, and Los Angeles, of course, is a huge center for entertainment and, and all that kind of stuff. So it was sort of a natural place to fall into that. Um, and I think what was curious for me is I never really, I really looked at it as like a means to support myself. I didn't really look at it as something I would take seriously or something that would be a serious career path. Um, and I guess if I jump over to the science story, what's funny about my my engagement with science is I wasn't, because of my personality, which tends to be, um, I guess, in science classrooms, <laughs> I wasn't always encouraged in that environment. I, I, I enjoy, um, you know, laughing and giggling. And I was that student who kind of got into trouble because I would pass notes and things like that. So many of my science teachers, <laughs> I think, didn't really appreciate what I brought to the table. Um, so it was a long time before I really got positive reinforcement in that space, but I always really loved science. So um, I got lucky in college and had this fabulous mentor who I met my freshman year who brought me in and I taught a science class with him during my years there and um, did research in his lab and through his encouragement ended up applying for graduate school and, and looking to do a doctorate in molecular biology, human biology. Um, so it really was with the support of one person that made me feel like, oh, I actually have the capacity to, to do this and I have the intellect to do it and, and I can, and I have the confidence. Um, and so they were really separate stories that only converged once I got to Boston, funnily enough, for my PhD at Harvard. Um, my agency in Los Angeles weirdly had an office in Boston and I moved there six weeks before my program started. I knew zero people. And I reached out to the agency and I said, hey, you know, you represent me in LA and I have six weeks to kill before my program starts. I'd love to get some clients here if, uh, if anything's going on. And, you know, by that point in time, I'd been modeling for five years. I'd been in the LA market for a long time. And so I was kind of a big fish in a small pond and immediately started working, which was very unusual because as most models know, a lot of the job is a lot of no. <laughs> you yeah. go out for castings, you get told no more often than not. Like the gross majority of things that happen or cross your plate or whatever, you don't get. Um, right. So Boston was cool because I was starting, I started getting a lot of stuff and I had no intention of continuing modeling, partly because for PhD programs in science, you're expected to dedicate full time and full focus to that. Um, but I found the Boston market was, um, allowed me to engage with modeling in a way where I could take, you know, two days a month and go do shoots and um, basically double my income because the stipend for PhDs in science is um, sadly quite low and, uh, you know, yeah. still work a ton and, and I could work nights and weekends to offset the time that I spent modeling. And it just kind of went like that. And here I am, what is it, like 15 years after I started modeling and I've never been as successful as I have been in the last two years in that particular career path, which is shocking to me, sort of. I don't know why, but I, it, it was out. never my intention. Yeah. And you're like, are you mainly a fitness model, Daisy? Because what you do reminds me of what Whitney has done, right? Like Whitney, you were a pageant queen, if I can call you that, with all respect and love, but you were also really super fit and, um, Whitney was always told that her body type, what, what, what did they tell you, Whitney, that your body type wasn't feminine enough, right? Yeah, it wasn't feminine enough. It wasn't soft enough. You know, I was too muscular because I played sports my entire life. Mm 
Mm-hmm. I'm also like really short, so the whole modeling thing really was, <laughs> didn't work out for me. I'm also really bad at being told no. Um, and like you said, <laughs> it, that's what it's all about. Like you just yeah. have to expect that to happen. Um, but yeah, I think your story is just a super incredible and really inspiring to a lot of women out there who feel like, oh, just because I'm in this one place or I'm in science or I'm in law or whatever it is that I have to remain in that. And there's just so much obviously so much more to you that you can do. Like you're a full spectrum, like might as well play in both sides. Yeah. I think it's really enriching to do things that are super disparate. And I'll tell you a quick, funny anecdote. When I was at the end of my PhD, I was, uh, which by the way, it's just such a slog. Doing a PhD is so challenging. Um, and especially in science, it's just, it can be totally demoralizing because most of what you're doing is failing. And most of the time you have no idea what you're doing. And, um, so it's, it's challenging. And it's one reason why I think having something else, whether it's a hobby or side career, um, can feel really good because there's some area where you're doing something that's working or that feels good. And and it's sort of bootstrapping energy to go from one to the other. But, um, during this part of my PhD at the end, when I was really having a hard time in terms of mental health and staying motivated and, getting stuff done and getting my thesis written, I was um, procrastinating and I did a New York Times quiz that said, what is your opposite profession? And it had this whole thing about why if you're maybe unhappy, you should consider something totally different from what you're doing. And so I'm filling out this quiz, you type in what your profession is, and then it pops up your opposite thing. So I type in scientist and it it auto-populates. There's one that says biological scientist. Fine. I click that. It gives me the little rainbow while it's thinking. And then it pops up and says the opposite job of a science of a biological scientist is a model oh. <laughs> it, this, it was amazing i started laughing immediately it has these uh, like this quadrant of like things biologists do the most skills biologists use the least skills models use the most skills models use the least and i think what was really interesting about that is that for me it was this great example of how enriching being able to do both has been for my development as a person and the things that i do in one i can bring to the other and vice versa and it's been really i feel so grateful that i've been able to do both because i feel like both make me better in each context what uh, it's so interesting because it's almost like you're talking about and you know what whitney also to your point i think that when we're staying at home it might be a great time to do things that we don't usually do like basically um it seems like daisy what you're talking about is like that modeling and science are very different from each other and that it's almost like interval training for your brain right Mm -hmm. it's like you're not in the same groove doing it over and over again and it seems like a great thing to do while we're stuck at home is to do something that we've never done like i was just thinking i have never in my life since i was a kid painted right Mm. I'm a a writer like I write stories I I haven't tried painting in 20 years maybe I should do that I wonder you know what people who are listening could do to do that kind of interval training for their mind which would probably you know really make them feel happy I think there's something to that for sure and I think that when you play in different ways, whether it's painting or you take up a new hobby or maybe you get into cooking and you've never really cooked before. I think that those, the things that you learn in that you can then take and apply in other areas that are actually kind of surprising. Like we don't expect necessarily that the things that I'm doing on a modeling set are going to inform anything I do in the lab, but that's not true. And things that I do in the lab are actually really useful when I go on set 
modeling. And so I think when we, when we challenge ourselves in new environments, we will be surprised by the ways that we can take those skills into different places. Yeah, no doubt. I think that's, I mean, and I think that's amazing because it's also just, it expands what you know. And so it can actually allow you to ask different questions, speak to different people, be more relatable. And you just don't know where that kind of mm-hmm. path or rabbit hole can take you. Um, I have a kind of tangenty question that just interests me, but I think it's relevant. Mm-hmm. I wonder if Daisy, can you say, and you might know this too, Wit, like Whitney was told that her body was too athletic or not feminine mm-hmm. enough or not soft enough. And yet she, you know, became Miss Texas. I'm so proud of her. And she also became Miss USA. And it's so incredible. And she did it totally on her own. Like she had handlers trying to tell her, no, you should do it this way. We have to do this. People whose job was to help you win a pageant. And Whitney Mm -hmm. said, fuck it. I'm athletic. I'm going to keep working out. I love sports. It makes me feel good. And she won being herself. And then I was just thinking about how you have had all this success as a model. You have like an athletic, strong body. You're not, mm-hmm. you're not like a, an emaciated model. Do you guys think that anything is changing about um, how we're looking at and seeing women's bodies in terms of the models that we're getting to look at? Is, is it, is like our visual palette changing? Absolutely. I think it's been super interesting in the last decade in particular because, you know, athleisure has become such a trend in our culture. And it's really been permissive for people that have more athletic body types to be represented in in the media and be represented in marketing. And I think we're actually in the middle of a shift right now. I've certainly noticed it in in my modeling work and, and with friends where we're getting a greater diversity of body types that are being showcased and celebrated. We're getting a lot more what we're calling curve models or plus size models, but are actually just regular women, um, you know, that again, right. like you said, are emaciated. And, and just the celebration of the spectrum of body types. I, I do think that it's it's always kind of dependent on the culture and what where that's coming from. And I don't know what shapes that, but I think athleisure is even taking a turn and it's starting to be like, oh, we don't have to be fit. We just have to celebrate our body, whatever that body is. Yeah, I love that. I love that like insight into that because we've talked about this before. It's just where do you feel the most comfortable? Where do you feel the most beautiful? beautiful and like how can you celebrate yourself within that regardless of what you know, society says you have to look or you have to be tall or short or fit or have a big butt or what, whatever it is. It's just like, what makes you feel the best? Mm-hmm. You know, and I love too that like I watched, you know, Rihanna's Fenty fashion, mm-hmm. fashion show and she uses all kinds of different body types and people and backgrounds, which is awesome. And then I read, you know, not too long ago that, that the Victoria's Secrets fashion show is like no longer. So I'm interested to see. Yay. Yay, goodbye. Yeah. I think there's something super powerful about the comfort that a person can have embodying who they are. I think that it's this energy that they emit or this sort of comfort with self that not only just makes them more attractive, but also makes other people feel more comfortable being around them because it's not this kind of positioning and insecurity and whatever it might be. It's just this relaxed comfort with who you are. That's, that's permissive for other people to feel the same way about themselves. I think. I totally. Think, and you know, what's interesting because uh, we're staying at home, I'm spending more time 
on Instagram, spending more time on social media. And I was thinking about how the sex positive movement and particularly women of color and especially um, black women in the sex positivity movement have really done such great work kind of pushing at our expectations of what a beautiful body is. And Mm. just, I love how Instagram, I mean, there are great and terrible things about Instagram, but like I follow, for example, um, Afro sexology. Um, I follow a lot of sex positive black women in the sex positive space. And I think they've done a lot of work just making our visual expectations, just, just changing them. Right. Just mm-hmm. saying, putting out there, um, being anorexic and blonde <laughs> is not beautiful, right? Like being your Instagram self, cellulite and all, or whatever your race, um, like you deserve to be seen as beautiful. I love that that's happening on Instagram. And I love that because I'm staying at home, I get to see more of it. And I feel like I feel like sex positive people, especially black women in the sex positive space. Wow. They have like really changed my ideas about beauty and everybody's Mm. like, I hope it keeps on. I hope it's a thing that when we stay at home and we look through those images, I hope our, I hope we get smarter about beauty during this period among so many other things. I so agree. I think having a greater exposure to what that can look like, it allows, like you said, changes expectations so that I think the the changing of expectations is really what's the mechanistic thing that allows for more of that to sort of come forward and be more positive. And one thing that you made me think of that I think is also exciting is because we're all at home, um, you know, and we're not going out, uh, I tend to be pretty low maintenance in terms of like what I do to walk out my door. But I always thought of how much time and effort women in particular, but some men as well, put into their appearance before they go into work or before they go out for a coffee meeting or before they go out even to a spin class, Um, you know, getting their hair right or their makeup or this or that. And not only are you putting all this shit on your face and in your hair or whatever, but it's this huge amount of energy that you could be doing using for some other more enriching purpose than like making yourself presentable for for who, which is always my question of like, who am I doing this for? I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) So how cool it is that like, I mean, at least for me, like I haven't hardly put on any makeup in the last month at all because I'm not going anywhere and I don't wear a whole lot anyway, but it's so great to just be like, well, I just don't care enough to do that. And I have to, I don't have to spend any minutes of my day doing that. How cool. Yeah, what yeah, and what are the things that you can do to other than that? Like, what, you know, if you take an hour to do your hair and makeup, like, what are what is something that you can fill that time with? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I I don't wear a whole lot of makeup, mo- like day in day out, but this particularly during quarantine, I'm not really wearing much. But I do find that as of recently, within the past couple of days, I put on makeup and I was like, oh my god, I feel so much better. <laughs> I'm just kind of in that place where I'm, I need like a pattern disrupt where I'm like, mm. get up. Yeah. Like, you want to look and feel good, right? Your day now. Yeah. Yeah. I, like yeah. It, I feel you. I think a lot of people are noticing that like if they get up and get out of their sweatpants, they feel good. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I think that's interesting too, is like what, like it helps us question, like, what are the things that we like about doing that? And some, I think a big part of it is like, I just like to feel put together. I personally like to be in pajamas all day. So for me that works, but I think it's interesting to, to allow people to develop the self-awareness of like, who am I doing it for? And if it's for you, awesome. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know what I really miss though, you guys, you know how we're mm. not get going out. Okay. I'm just going to say this. I really miss my bags. Mm. <laughs> I have all these great cross body <sighs> bags and lit. you have that beautiful Gucci bag. And um, yeah, girl. most of mine are in New York city. We came out here to um, the Hamptons to get away from New York city. We were so lucky to be able to do that. But, you know, this is going to sound shallow, but it means that I left a lot of things. But one of the things that I miss about my daily routine is choosing which bag I'm going to use for the next few days or for that week or for that day. It was part of my identity. It was part of how I put myself together. I'm not going anywhere now. I don't need a bag. And it has re- I've really noticed how altering my uniform that way has mm-hmm. really altered my self-concept, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I, like, sorry, go ahead. No, go with. I and like we start to realize we have all of this stuff that we don't actually need. Oh, right. Word. Like you go into your closet and like you have it's so many shirts and so many shoes and so many things. Look, don't get me wrong, I love that stuff and I want to keep buying that stuff, but it really highlights and magnifies all of the things that we don't really need, mm-hmm. and then people don't really care about it. You know. Yeah. What are you guys? I wonder if our listeners are having this too. I am. I mean, New York City is a place where you're just supposed to have status and have the cool thing and whatever. And I am out here and I have like, I call it my second tier clothing collection, right? It's like, all my weekend clothes. And first of all, I feel much more comfortable all the time. But second of all, um, oh, have not worn heels or like I haven't worn my Gucci platform loafer in a while. I miss those, but my feet mm. feel better. But the other thing I was going to say is to your point, Wit, I'm just realizing what, you know, professional organizers have been telling us forever. You feel better when you have less, right? Mm. It's just what a like, great point. I'm not opening my closet every day and having the first world problem of like, which thing to wear. Hey, I got three options. I have like, you know, I have three t-shirts instead of 12, or I have, you know, two jackets instead of 10. And there's a weird way in which there's something very calming about that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Is it just me? I'm with you a hundred percent. I think it's such a relief to not have to think about that. Also, Daisy has like been stuck in Cabo for I don't know how long you said, but you've only packed for a week. Oh yeah, <laughs> so I was planning like, to come no. for a week, and I I have been here now uh, three and a half weeks, and probably will be here for another month at minimum. So just, just, <laughs> just wash those undies. Just keep washing those yeah. undies in the sink, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, luckily I always pack like an enormous amount of underwear. I don't know why, so that's fine. But I have like four things to wear. <laughs> Having extra like loads of underwear is so clutch. Like I, I, do, I have more underwear when I pack to go somewhere than not. Most of the time I don't even wear underwear, which is even more weird. And then <laughs> no, that's awesome. 
It's awesome. But then why do I have to pack 12 pairs of underwear for a three night trip? <laughs> I will yeah. always, you know, we should travel together, Whitney, because and Daisy, because I always forget my underwear. I carefully plan out each outfit. I'm like, this is for when I have that TV appearance. This is for when I give that talk. And this is for when I go to dinner with blah, blah. And this is for this, right? And then I get there. I open up the suitcase. No underwear. So... I gotta, I gotta learn from you. Also, I have to wear underwear. I don't know who you people are who don't wear underwear. God bless you, because I have this amazing self cleaning vagina. And like, if I don't, <laughs> yeah, if I don't wear underwear, like nothing's catching it. So I'm just. Anyways, right now I'm not wearing any underwear. Just so you know. Okay, you're not. Wait, what are you no, wearing? Daisy? I have I'm underwear in- on and shorts. Well, pajama shorts. I have underwear on, and mine is Hanes Herway cotton underwear from Dwayne Reed. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't pack any for the Hamptons? (laughs) But, you know, thankfully, I do have some sexy lingerie out here because we spend a lot of time out here. And my husband heard me doing an Instagram live yesterday where I was talking about, you know, how to be sexy during COVID-19 and just gave me such a look afterwards, like, it would be nice if you tried some of that. Oh my God. So yes. I just want to commit here and now to both of you and everybody listening. I'm breaking out my sexy lingerie tonight. So are you? Ooh, girl. Oh, lucky man at home. <laughs> are you guys better partnered having more sex now that you guys are just constantly together or not as much? Well, I've been under the weather and because of you know, the pandemic. And I had a fever for a couple days. I spoke to my doctor and my favorite scientist, Daisy Robinson. And everybody is suggesting that if you're feeling under the weather and have any symptoms of COVID-19 right now, you know, do a telemed thing uh, and, you know, figure out, err on the side of caution. So I have been sleeping alone for the last, I think, six nights. So Joel has been in another bedroom. Um, And Daisy says that we should continue to do that for another few days just to be absolutely sure. But afterwards, it's on. And I'm wearing the sexy, <laughs> I'm wearing the sexy underwear tonight just to give a little show. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so, go ahead. I was just saying, you little tease you. One <laughs> <laughs> of the things that I talked about with Wednesday when we were chatting about her symptoms and, and that I told her with my experience too um, and some of the data, this is going to be a PS COVID sex PSA. Um, yeah. yeah, I think this is important. Um, there's actually hilarious guidelines, they're not hilarious, important guidelines out there about safe sex during coronavirus. Um, and one of the things is if you live with other people and especially if you're partnered and you, one of you becomes sick, there's data that suggests that the amount of virus that you're exposed to can actually impact the severity of your illness. So what's a little funny story about that maybe is um, my boyfriend came here to Cabo from New York City, and uh, the day after he arrived, he came down with fever. And we hadn't seen each other in a couple weeks because I'd been traveling, and um, you know, so we were really excited to see each other and making out and all this stuff. And so when I got sick immediately after he got sick, it was what felt like 
extraordinarily challenging symptoms. And I kind of laughed to myself because, you know, a couple of his friends that he was with the week before tested positive for coronavirus. So, you know, he was in a room when you're in close contact with people, you get exposed. That was probably his exposure moment, um, you know, being in proximity to somebody else. Whereas I'm licking the inside of his mouth and just like (laughs) drinking virus in huge quantities. And it took me down so hard. And so when I talked to Wednesday, she got sick a little bit after me. I said, you know, sleep in separate beds, don't make out (laughs) and try to limit uh, the amount of exposure that you might expose your husband to because it could impact how severe the illness is. And, and, And on a more serious note, I mean, this is why um, it's important for our healthcare workers to have PPE or protective personal protective equipment because they're exposed to huge amounts of virus caring for patients. And so the more that you receive, the harder, the, the more severe the illness can be. So that goes for people at home. If one of you is sick, try to sort of isolate away from them and definitely don't make out with them. <laughs> also, Daisy, weren't you saying that rimming is a part of the guidelines that you should not lick your, your partner's butthole. (laughs) I did say that. Yes. Um, so there has been no, uh, virus detected in, in sperm, uh, or, or urine or anything like that, but there has been virus detected in stool. So part of the guidelines are to avoid any, uh, mouth to anus contact of any kind, because there might be transmission via that route. Of course, there's going to be transmission via kissing, um, unclear with, mouth to genitalia. I don't think we'd know, uh, but definitely mouth to anus is, is a, a no go. Don't do it. Noted. Don't yeah. do it. And also I think it's hard to give somebody a rim job and be six feet away from them. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> let me just put that out there. People in the zoom, people in the zoom sex parties are figuring it out Wednesday. They are. I gotta get to one of these Zoom sex parties. Will somebody please invite me if you're listening and you go? Um, I want to know about this. Um, I think we have to let you go, Daisy. I'm always conscious of, um, you know, knowing that you um, have this. That I don't want you to have to talk and breathe too much. <laughs> but I'm really honored that you were here with us today, and just love you personally. And. Mm. Please tell everybody how and where they can find you. Oh, yes. Um, I would love to hear from people and answer any questions that are follow-up. You can find me on Instagram. That's the best way. My handle is at Daisy, D-A-I-S-Y, underscore Robinton, R-O-B-I-N-T-O-N. And Twitter, I'm at Daisy Robinton. So you can find me on both of those channels. And, uh, you know, feel free to reach out. I'd love to hear from you. And thank you so much for having me on. This has been so much fun. I adore you both. Awesome. Thank you so, so much. Thanks, Daisy. We love you. And everybody else, you're going to love Daisy too. Follow her. Super exciting news, you guys. I am hosting an all-women's retreat in Nosara, Costa Rica in May. I want you to go visit Revamp Retreats to get more information on that, but it's going to be absolutely amazing. It's in one of my favorite places in the world, Nosara, Costa Rica, and I'm hosting it with one of my best, best, best friends, Caitlin Howe. It's all about bringing a really cool group of girls together and women together to bond and share an amazing experience to grow and transform. And you know what? Have some fun while we're doing it. So check out Revamp Retreats and find out more information. Hope to see you there. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you did, it would help us a lot if you would leave a review. 
yeah, leave a review, subscribe. We want to know how you guys felt about the episode. It really helps us out a lot to continue the success of the podcast and keep spreading our message.